0: Hello everyone and welcome to Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. Uh, My name is Kristina Devochko.
1: I'm Michael Levan.
0: And today we're going to chat with Nigel Poulton about all things WebAssembly, what it is, what all the hype is about and how does it fit in context of containerization and orchestration and specifically in context of Kubernetes. So Nigel, hello and welcome. Thank you for finding the time to join us on this episode. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Honestly, it's absolutely my pleasure to be on. I um, wouldn't say I've been looking forward to it all weekend because I've had some exciting <laughs> stuff going on at the weekend with one of my daughter's soccer teams, but it's a great way to hit the working week um, to do something pretty cool like this. So I'm excited
0: amazing we are happy that we could be a highlight of your week as well you <laughs> you're definitely a highlight of our week oh, well because... I was just about
2: to say that's kind of embarrassing for me really isn't it <laughs> that, like coming on a podcast no disrespect to you guys um but, you know just oh yeah I'm gonna be on a podcast woohoo so exciting if I was to tell my kids they'd be like really dad I'm not gonna do what you do when I grow up if that's the highlight
0: <laughs> never say that. <never. laughs> I know true yeah, but that is uh, that is really great that you could you could join us because recently me and Michael we had a recap episode from KubeCon uh, and Cloud Native EU and one of the topics we were like chatting about was precisely WebAssembly and uh, how popular it's getting and what uh, what is going on and why uh, why is it becoming so so popular and getting so much attention so we feel like you would be a perfect Person to tell us more about what the hype is all about
2: in this oh, case. Oh no, I feel serious pressure now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think, Michael, you had a good question uh, last time. So, uh, like, w- w- what what is what is WebAssembly and what is so cool about it? Maybe we can start there.
2: So, are you asking me that? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. So, uh, so goes. St- why don't we start off like super high level, yeah? And we can drill in as far as we can go, which um, might be deep. I, I don't know. It depends because like I, some of this stuff is so nascent still at the moment that um, some of the deep stuff is still being decided, I think. But but look, at a super high level, right, I, I always frame it like elevator pitch to people that um, we've had two waves of cloud computing already, right? So we, the first wave of cloud computing was driven by virtual machines. It started with Amazon, AWS, all of that kind of stuff, yeah? Um, but then along came containers, which were smaller, faster, and more lightweight. Um, and they started eating into the lunch of virtual machines. Don't get me wrong, I'm, you know, yes, I am a container fanboy, but I totally get it that virtual machines are still a humongous part of the cloud. But I, I feel like, Containers are the go to solution for most net new things in the cloud. Anyway, a lot of people in the industry feel like we're approaching a third wave of cloud computing, or like, you know, if we're a surfer out in the ocean or a a bodyboarder or something, we can see a third wave approaching. And that's WebAssembly. And keeping it super high level for now, WebAssembly um, looks like it. Could do, and there's still debate within the industry, okay? But it could do to containers what containers did to virtual machines, so it's a little bit different, you know, the the step from virtual machines to containers and then containers to WebAssembly. It's not necessarily the same step, but it is fair to say that WebAssembly is smaller, faster, more portable, and more secure than containers. So, with that in mind, that's you know where I come from to say it could do to containers what containers did to virtual machines, and look. But for me, from like a totally personal perspective, I got in with virtual machines like VMware fairly early. Um, I got in with Docker containers fairly early, Kubernetes fairly early. So I feel like I know what these waves feel like when they're about to come. So I feel with WebAssembly like I felt in the early days of Docker. And the early days of Docker felt like the early days of VMware and and, and all that kind of jazz. So... How's that for an elevator pitch? I don't know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I I I have to admit uh, on air, and this is now recording, so I can't take it back, that I didn't really get the hype in the beginning until I dove a little bit deeper into it from a server-side perspective. So, like I got the web part, you know, the idea of the web is built off of JS. Now we don't have to, you know, worry about that anymore. We can write it in Go, we can write it in Python, whatever. But the thing that was like kind of ticking in my head a little bit was, from a server side perspective, why would it matter? Uh, and it now that I've you know dove into it a little bit more, it makes total sense, right? In in my opinion, the idea of you know any environment that you walk into, whether you want to write in Python, Go, Rust, whatever you want to write in, there's there's always this debate of well, this is going to be a little bit faster, this is going to be a little bit better from a security perspective, but the team has. You know, with 90% Python knowledge, so we're not going to switch over because it's going to be a heavy lift in general and it won't make much sense. But with WebAssembly, from a server-side perspective, it doesn't matter what you write it in. You compile it, it goes through WebAssembly, and it gets spit out. Like, it doesn't matter. This team can write in Go, this team can write in Rust, et cetera. And so that was that was the big, like, aha moment for me. I was like, oh, I was like, this is going to make hiring so much easier. Because, you know, back when I had a full-time gig, when I was hiring, it was, you know, we needed this team to have, you know, a little bit of Python. We needed this team to have a little bit of Go, this team to have a little bit of PowerShell, whatever. And it was just such a pain in the butt to like find, you know, those exact niches. But now it doesn't matter. Like you write in Go, you write in Python, who cares? It's going to go through WebAssembly.
2: Right. So can I just caveat that, Michael? Like you're spot on, okay. Um, But what I want to get across in all of this is that right now, It is the very early days. And and if any of us remember the early days with Kubernetes and Docker and things like that, as exciting as it was and as game-changing as it potentially was, it was quite painful and quite hard in those early days. Mm -hmm. So um, with WebAssembly on the server, I think, so what the main point you're getting out there, Michael, is that WebAssembly is a compilation target, right? So you don't write your code in WebAssembly or anything like that. You, You write it in your favorite languages, right? And that was the beauty of containers, wasn't it? It's a polyglot. It doesn't really care. You write it in your existing stuff. You package it as a container. What I want to say, though, is that right now, um, support for WebAssembly is very language dependent. So some languages currently are better than others. Rust is tends to be the go-to language at the moment for WebAssembly. Um, but other languages are, are coming on board. And, and you know, you know, if you're listening to this in six months' time or a year's time, there'll be even more support in all these different languages. But the other thing as well is that the WebAssembly core specification is also evolving. So right now, it doesn't do some things like garbage collection and threading and things like mm. that. So the 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 specification and um, let's call it the the WebAssembly machine, if you don't mind, itself, and um, is also very early days there as well. So. I think like there's some really good use cases and some good tooling already out there. But as soon as you step away from like maybe the main two or three languages that have good support and the main use case, which at the moment, and we might come to this, um, seems to be like functions as a service or serverless. Mm. As soon as you step out of that, I feel like you've got to be super brave and, and understand that you're taking on a beast right now um, now that won't be the case in six, twelve, eighteen months. But right now, it's not for the faint-hearted when you step outside of like that small core. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So, if you were an enterprise who were considering to uh, to adopt WebAssembly, for instance, because this this sounds really cool and everybody is talking about it right now, would you say that this is something that could be production-ready at this point, or what should enterprises consider in this case?
2: Right. Gotcha. Really good question, actually. So enterprises being notoriously slow to adopt anything, right? The proverbial oil tanker that takes a year to turn around <laughs> or whatever. Um, I feel like WebAssembly, it, it is production ready for certain use cases. I don't want to constantly draw comparisons with containers, but do you remember in the early containers days, it was production ready and it was a great solution for like net new um, mm-hmm. stateless applications, um, but outside of that, it was like, oh, really, you probably should be sticking with virtual machines for the time being. And we've got a similar setup in the WebAssembly space at the moment. I think it is production ready and excellent for certain things. Um, but again, step outside of that uh, and it becomes a little bit hairy and scary. And I think most, yeah, most enterprises are a little bit cautious about doing... Well, <laughs> that's taking it mildly, <laughs> isn't it? Most enterprises <laughs> probably would be cautious about using it for something that it's great and already production ready at, um, and, will, and my advice as well would be to stay away from it for the time being for most other things. But can I caveat that by saying that um, it looks like a lot of the existing tooling and things that we have around the container ecosystem right now. So container image registries like OCI registries and things like that, um, even OCI runtimes like Podman, Docker, things like that, and build tools and things they're all evolving as well to be able to adopt to WebAssembly. So Mm. if you are that enterprise that you asked about there, Chris,
0: Mm.
2: and you've got half an eye on WebAssembly for the future, which you should, I think you can rest assured in knowing that your tooling and things that you're probably already deploying for your container pipelines and all that kind of stuff will or look very much like they will be tools that you can reuse with WebAssembly going forward as well. So it's a little bit scary, but it's also... A little bit comforting knowing that it's probably not going to require for all use cases like a, a total reset of tools and and, and training of stuff and mm-hmm. things like that
1: mm-hmm. yeah I, I, i've had a couple of questions around that as well just from the network and stuff you know like is this going to replace containers is it going to replace kubernetes and my answer is always well you know like you said nigel you can run as like functions as a service or on serverless whatever but if you're still running in containers, and if you still need a way to orchestrate, you know, WebAssembly isn't coming in to remove an orchestrator because the, the the workload still needs to orchestrate in some way, shape, or form. Whatever you're using, whether it's Kubernetes, Nomad, whatever, um, so it's not necessarily a replacement. It's more of just another I don't know what the right verbiage is, just another layer of abstraction, right? More or yeah, or less? yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think the way I see it, right, there's two train, two main trains of thought at the moment. Um one of them is that um, you can go like, for want of a better term at the moment, right, WebAssembly native, where like you deploy a new platform and new tools and things um, for WebAssembly based applications and use cases that fit well. And you get like the full WebAssembly experience, which Um, is the smallest, the fastest, the most portable, the most secure, yeah? Or um, the other main train of thought is that these existing tools, like let's just take Kubernetes, okay, are adapting to be able to run WebAssembly workloads. But if you go down that route or route, then you potentially don't get quite as, I'm I'm hashing this, right, but not quite as high quality Mm. WebAssembly experience, but probably good enough Um, When you consider the trade-off of like, well, on the one side, I've got to retool everything and and re-skill people and and rethink everything. And on the other side, I can take existing tools and patterns and things like that and still get some benefits. I imagine that enterprises will go for the latter because, I mean, look, we all know, right, Um, Kubernetes is a a beast. And, um, you know, a lot of organizations are investing in it. And just to merely suggest that it might not be the right platform for the next wave would would send shivers down the spines of most CEOs and CIOs and things like that. (laughs) So it's quite comforting, I think, for them to think, okay, um, my neck or my job is not going to be on the line if WebAssembly is a success because Kubernetes can run WebAssembly workloads. And I've written, like I maintain a blog, and I would say... I've written two recent blog posts on WebAssembly. One of them is everything you need to know about WebAssembly on Kubernetes, kind of all the theory. And then I've written a hands-on guide, and they're hands down the most popular blog posts I've written in a very long time. Um, But the second one in particular, it it walks you through actually deploying a simple WebAssembly application to a Kubernetes cluster, I think, running probably Kubernetes 1.24 or something like that. So... You can actually already do it right now. It's it's just a little bit rough around the edges.
1: So, are there any? Like, and and it might not even be ready for it because, like you said, right? It's just it's rough around the edges. But are there any performance benchmarks at the moment that essentially are showcasing? Here's you know what it looks like to just run native WebAssembly. Here's what it looks like to run it on Kubernetes and containers, just so people can kind of get an idea of like, hey if I'm not using Kubernetes, but I want to move to WebAssembly or, or I want to start net new in WebAssembly, which direction should I go in type of thing? Like, is there anything like that that currently exists or is it just still too raw and new?
2: Yeah, so I've not seen anything comparing like a native WebAssembly solution to running WebAssembly on Kubernetes. Um, I think the latter of running it on Kubernetes there would be so many moving parts and variables in your Kubernetes config and things like that, that I would at least, if I was looking at something like that, and it would probably be sponsored by the organization that's pushing the WebAssembly native solution, I'd be like, yeah, but you and I, Michael and Chris, could probably configure Kubernetes to perform a little bit better than you've done in there. So I've not, I've not seen that comparison, but let me say this, right? From a serverless, like event-driven scenario, okay, um, you should expect a native WebAssembly um app or native WebAssembly module to start in microseconds, at the very most, very low single-digit milliseconds, which is what makes it ideal for event-driven serverless stuff. You can literally scale to zero and your cold start times are just off the scale fast. I think um, at Cloud Native Wasm Day at KubeCon <laughs> EU in Amsterdam, Kate Goldenring from Fermion did a really good session where I forget the exact numbers now, but I think she spun up and then spun down 10,000 WebAssembly modules in about five seconds or something like that. Um, I I know, yeah. So I would say just take as a ballpark figure, if you're going native WebAssembly, microseconds to very low milliseconds for start times, cold start times. But of course, that's that's only one part of the picture, right? And I wouldn't get super focused on that because I feel like Yes, Kubernetes might evolve from a scheduling perspective and stuff like that to be able to leverage WebAssembly for serverless workloads. But I feel like we we might be using it for more traditional workloads going forward as well. And again, the industry split on this, okay. But to just start replacing more traditional container workloads, but then also to help us um, have Kubernetes potentially orchestrate IoT and edge devices, because WebAssembly workloads are so much smaller and so less resource intensive that Kubernetes plus WebAssembly can go to places that Kubernetes with containers couldn't go. Because look, we all know that containers are way smaller than virtual machines, but actually they're still kind of big. I think I did a um, just a very simple unscientific test a while ago in a blog post saying, um, I did a hello world container that was about and and I did, I made no effort to make it small other than pulling in like what I knew was a small base image for the container. It was about five meg. And I built um, a Hello World Rust app that I compiled to WebAssembly, wrapped it in an OCI container, pushed it to Docker Hub. And that was, I think it was just under 500K. Mm. So it's a lot more than just the cold startup. It, you know, this is super fast great for serverless. I really feel like if Kubernetes is ever going to go to the edge and and, you know, we've got these sort of edge-optimized distros and stuff out there now, Um, what we were lacking was a packaging format that Kubernetes could manage applications in on the edge. And I I feel like WebAssembly potentially could be that. But look, I know I'm waffling a lot here, right? But I want to caveat everything because there are people in the industry that that disagree with me on on stuff like this and and love to slaughter me in a friendly way. And and we have a lot of banter on this because there's so much debate still out there as to, you know, what are we actually going to use WebAssembly for? And some people think it will just be for what it's a perfect use case for, whereas I'm more on the side that I think, given enough time, it, it's really just going to become the, the default or the go-to solution for most cloud-based apps, mm. but, but you know, not for a year to mm. two years from now, mm. probably.
0: And I'm thinking with the higher focus in general lately, both on the cost optimization and kind of resource efficiency, also from the sustainability perspective, getting more opportunities to create more resource efficient applications uh, is uh, a great advantage that uh, will become more and more popular in the days to come. And from the KubeCon uh, uh, and Cloud Con conference, I've seen a session where there were... Uh, guys who presented their experiment on the Boston Dynamics robot where they were building WebAssembly applications on top of Kubernetes at edge distribution to run their specific functionality so that those robots could help their customers to perform specific tasks. And that was not production ready yet, but like just seeing that this is possible and WebAssembly was something that they used to make it to, be, to make it to run on such a small amount of space as there may be on top of such a robot yeah. uh, hardware. That was really impressive to see.
2: So I can't believe that I missed that. Um, I'm going to have you to go away. You should
0: definitely watch the recording. I think you could even take a selfie with that robot.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's my <laughs> second highlight for the week now. So thanks to <laughs> Highlights. <laughs> Brilliant. My pleasure. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and and I, I always try to just tell everybody to keep an open mind because it, it's I feel like with all these technology trends, regardless of how you look at it, it always kind of starts and ends the same way, right? Same thing when virtualization first came out. Like when virtualization first came out, there were a lot of people that were like, this is a toy, this is never going to be used in production, we're never going to put this in our server racks. ESXi or ESX at the time is just going to be this, this thing that we test on. And then that ended up taking up the enterprise. Same thing with the cloud. You know, There were a lot of talks and a lot of communication around the same thing. So <clears throat> when anybody asks me the question, I'm always like, just keep an open mind because you don't know. Um, and I think the, what one of the uncomfortable realities in the tech space is sometimes it doesn't matter which platform or tool is better. It matters what's getting adopted more and what's getting built for more, you know, like for example, Docker swarm was, is however you want to put it, arguably easier to use than Kubernetes, but Kubernetes won the war, right? And that's what everybody was building on. And that's what all these different third parties and add-ons were, were getting built for. So it's the same thing. Like if WebAssembly takes off and this is the thing that people are, you know, going towards, that's what it's gonna be so it's all really about adoption and in the in the space that we work in it's truly all about adoption
2: yeah can i say two things on that then i I had pretty much the exact same conversation um at the organization i was working at at the time when vmware came along you know it was um yeah great for testing but (laughs) that will never go near our production systems yeah right we all know how that ended um (laughs) S- similar with containers um i, I want to say right in the early days of containers because i was speaking more publicly about it and outside of the kind of organizations i was working for a lot of people thought yeah you know you're you're right you're right you're right but a lot of people were like y- you haven't got a clue like this this is never going to happen and and it ha- it did work out but Even me as an individual that was a real believer in containers, there were times where I was up and down in my belief that it was actually going to become a real production thing for real line of business production workloads. Um, And and I feel the same with WebAssembly and, and even Kubernetes as well. As much of a supporter as I was, I was up and down in my own belief in it at times. And I would caveat it, right? Because I think we're citing examples, although I know you did cite Docker Swarm, which is definitely a thing still, um, but but way, way less than Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. I, I want to cite a negative one where, where I was wrong. And I always like to hold it up that I can totally be wrong about these these things. When you say the best solution doesn't always win. So I've been a little bit vocal in, in certain circles, saying that I believe that from a WebAssembly perspective, Kubernetes is very much a second-class citizen or a second-class platform compared to the more native experience. But I actually wonder inside whether that's not going to matter. Like you say, Michael, like it may not be anywhere near as good as some of the others, but because it's good enough and it's already deployed and it's got so much momentum and it does so many other things and it's that you know, what, what a lot of people want to be one platform to rule them all. I know a lot of people don't, right? Because as soon as you one platform to rule them all, you are kind of just a generalist at everything, (laughs) but for a lot of use cases and organizations and people, that's good enough, right? Yeah. Especially in production,
1: you know, as you mentioned in the beginning of the call, it's what you're running in production versus what the hot new sexy thing is, is always so drastically different, you know? And that's why, you know, when a lot of people come to me and they ask, Hey, is WebAssembly going to take my job, you know, because I'm doing all this Kubernetes stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm like, you got got close to a decade left until organizations are going to, like, want to rip this thing out. Because to your point, so many organizations are embedding themselves in Kubernetes, regardless of where they're running it, that it's like, to rip themselves out of it is going to be the same struggle of, you know, people going from VMs to containers. It took a long time. And people are still doing it, by the way. Like, this is still <laughs> very prevalent. <laughs> like, people are still migrating, and there's still a lot of VMs out there. So it's still happening, you know? So I. that's why I always say, you know, you got to look at what's being utilized in production versus what the, the hot new thing is.
2: So can I just throw, like, a really cheeky but kind of fun question at both of you, right? So you talk about... Kubernetes has still got a good run of 10 years, right? And I do not disagree even in the slightest there, right? Are you on the current release team, Michael, for the next Kubernetes version or is it the one that's just gone? Yeah, version 1.28, Yep. Right, okay. So 1.28 is coming, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to be the peak version for Kubernetes adoption? Like what version number do you think we're going to be at before it starts to significantly tail off and be replaced by something else, like like I'm, I'll go first and yeah. well, let you guys think, right? And, and I'm just going to be a bit silly out here, right? But I think we're <laughs> I love this. I think we're going to pass one dot a hundred before it go before it starts to wane because the way I look, me <laughs> one dot a hundred. It's just <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, right? But the the way it it's like a community project and. At the moment, it has so much backing from just about all of the major vendors. Feels like almost everybody needs to have a Kubernetes game. Um, I just don't see it disappearing mm. like some of the the older technologies that were owned by one company and all that kind of stuff. And you know, they, they'd get bought out by somebody or they'd sunset it because they wanted to do something different. Like Kubernetes, don't get me wrong. It's got a lot of legacy in there and a lot of technical debt and stuff like that but i feel like so far it's adopted that that i wouldn't be surprised to to hit 1.100 so i want to know what you guys think
0: i was wondering yeah. if we at some point hit 2.0 instead uh, I, d- instead I, so, of going yes. to 100 <laughs>
2: <laughs> i don't think we ever do because i think that would be like that's significant like api ch- I, mean, I could be totally wrong about this as well right that is some significant fundamental api change there that breaks everything and it becomes you know a net new product product mm-hmm. almost i don't think the industry allows things like that right now but again that's just the nigel take on it and and i'm wrong more mm. often than i'm right
0: but i th- don't think you are on there uh, in terms of uh, it reaching one uh, 100 i don't think that's so far fetched with uh, in terms of how frequently the new releases are coming out i mean we are at one thirty, no, not at one thirty yet, but get in there quite quickly. So um, I can uh, I can totally uh, agree agree that this uh, this may happen quite uh, quite long longer in the but, run.
2: So just some fast maths right now, or math. If we're doing three releases a year at the moment, it's twenty years. Sorry, it's ten years before we reach one point fifty eight. Hmm. So that's my, that's towards the end of your sort of 10 year prediction, Michael. Mm. Um, and if we're still at three releases a year, that's an, another probably, I'm not good at math, but it's about another 15 years after that. I mean, has any product ever lived that long other than like ZOS, the mainframe or whatever? I don't know. Anyway, look, I'm yeah. waffling, Michael. What's your no, no. like peak Kubernetes version that we're going for? Yeah, you know, I'm, I,
1: <laughs> I feel like I want to answer the question with, Almost a question, another question, and then a slight yeah, statement. Yeah. So the the whole idea is like when Kubernetes is going to start to you know kind of dip down a little bit. I would argue perhaps that this is already occurring because right. the main project, the core of Kubernetes, right? Like when we're talking about the core API group, when we're talking about the named API group, they're, they're still being built, but the the formation and the um, production readiness The core project is, in my opinion, I'm using air quotes here, done, right? Right. The core of it is built. Now what the hot stuff is and what everybody is starting to care about are the add-ons and the third parties, right? So I would say that this dip is kind of already started in one way shape or form it's not using it's not losing using it's not losing popularity it's just stable like less people are caring about the new version that's coming out of kubernetes and they're caring more about the new version of a service mesh or their favorite GitOps tool or whatever the case may be i don't know if that answers your question quite because i don't have a version number in my head but that's my take on it
2: yeah, so I totally get where you're coming from, actually, and I'm constantly telling organisations that the core stuff that you build on is baked, yeah. um, and the scary stuff is the stuff that's coming in around the edges. But look, I've I've just quickly looked up Kubernetes 1.26 release, electrifying, yeah. This release includes a total of 37 enhancements, 11 of them are graduating graduating to stable. So 11 things going into stable, 10 into beta and 16 new things entering alpha now look again i'm just riffing on this like i'm not looking at what it was for 1.14 or 1.4 or anything like that so i don't know how that compares to others but that 37 enhancements i know that's not new features but that's 37 kind of important things still happening in the 1.26 release i don't know it's a good thought exercise though anyway never mind
1: no, no, it it totally makes sense, yeah. And and you know, I think ironically with Kubernetes and just because uh, you, you're because you're talking about the different API releases and stuff, like I feel that with Kubernetes, it's the first time in in the the history of tech or or however you want to call it that we're looking at like alpha versions and beta versions of APIs and we're using them in production. Like I, I'm I'm yeah. work, one of my clients right now. I'm working with we're deploying Argum and we were having this con- the conversation around whether we want to go the imperative model or the declarative model and the declarative model of like the the um the controller for Argo CD like it's still an alpha and everybody's using it in production yeah. Yeah. so it's like we're in this weird phase of like what is an enhancement what is production ready what, what is ready and what is not it's strange, yeah. So that's why, like, when I look at the enhancements and stuff, when I look at, like, the different things that are coming out, like, yeah, it's a lot. And then on the flip side, it's like, but we're using stuff in, in that's in beta and that's in alpha. So it's like, I think I still wrap my head around from a Kubernetes perspective of, like, what's new, what's not, you know, what's coming out, what's just kind of already there and just stuff is getting thrown at it. So that's yeah. why, yeah, it's it's hard for me to really think about, like, what the version would be, what the what the level of enhancements are until we're kind of like, ah, you know, cause again, like with all the third party tools and stuff like that, it's like those enhancements triple or quadruple. So I, going back on, on actually what I said now, I'm telling myself that I'm wrong. You're, you're definitely right. Like I could see this going for, you know, like you said, 20, 25 years, give or take, or, or maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more with, you know, everything that's just coming out in general. And then if we pop WebAssembly maybe on top of that's a thing, that's going to be a whole other thing. And it's going to, yeah, so I, I'm I'm now going from I think I thought I was right. I,
2: I'm definitely wrong. You're absolutely right. No, no <laughs> and you know what? I 1. hundred. it does seem crazy. And I throw it out there just to be a little bit silly and thought-provoking at times. <laughs> but um another fun thing I quite often say um to people is like, anytime I watch a movie with my kids and it's got any kind of tech in that has to be hacked, it's always the mainframe. They've got to <laughs> hack the mainframe, right? Really? So so I wonder like. Will Will Kubernetes ever become mainstream enough that like the future movies or immersive experiences or whatever they are, they've got to hack the <laughs> Kubernetes cluster. And, 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 you know, we're all rolling our eyes. Yeah, yeah, Kubernetes isn't a thing anymore. Main I know, Listen, I know mainframe's still a thing, don't get me wrong, but, but very niche. But mm. it just becomes that like established industry jargon that's almost mm. household and mainstream. I, I don't know. Right. Anyway.
1: There's, there's nothing better than, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie swordfish with Hugh Jackman when he's, uh, wow. Oh, well just look up the scene on YouTube. Third highlight of funny. the week. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> uh, it was like one of his first, uh, movies. If, if for those of you who don't know who Hugh Jackman is, he played Wolverine and stuff. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, it's just, there's like 10, like, like, uh, huge monitors in front of him and he's just like hacking away. And like you said, yeah. just, it just cracks me up every time. Oh, yeah. oh, Basically boy.
0: described uh, <laughs> quite many of the uh, of the movies <laughs> out there were exactly the same that's happening.
2: <laughs> oh, it's yeah, I used to stuff. love, like you would add, uh, probably some people are geeks like us as well, but I used to pause those movies to see what was happening on the screen. And so often <laughs> they're just, just booting like a version of Linux. And, and all it's doing is like, Decom- uncompressing compressing vm liners and all that and you're like uh, yeah all they're doing is booting a system there but it looks amazing
1: <laughs> it's funny i imagine that for us is like when other actors watch other actors play in movies and they're like nah, they're not they're not saying that yeah. or doing that properly <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's That's boring right stuff.
1: all right cool so before we start wrapping up here i just wanted to ensure christina nigel do you guys have anything else that you'd like to mention
0: One thing I would like uh, to ask Nigel about is maybe for those listeners out there who have not heard or learned much about WebAssembly yet and would like to start uh, getting to know it better. Are there any resources out there that you could recommend that would be really useful to start with when it comes to WebAssembly?
2: So so that's actually quite a complex question at the moment. And it's one of the things that annoys me a little bit. So um, I, I'm going to be a shill and I'll point to my own blog first, if you don't mind. So um, nigelpoulton.com slash blog. I write about WebAssembly quite a bit now. But the challenge that I found as I've been playing around and researching and doing stuff is that almost everything that you look at is WebAssembly for the web, like web browsers and stuff. What we're talking about is WebAssembly on the server. And right now, there's no real language that we use to to be able to clearly differentiate between the two. So I'm in the process of writing a book on WebAssembly. And the hardest thing about writing this book is I don't know what to call it. So I was thinking, like, getting started with WebAssembly. Oh, no. Do you know what? That's not really great because people are going to assume it's, like, for browsers, yeah? Yeah. Getting started with WebAssembly on the server—rubbish title, uh, way too long. So, so, so that's kind. Of, so, I think. Long story short, what I'm saying is, when you do your research and your reading, just make sure that you're researching the right type of WebAssembly. They're, they're both the same standards and specifications. Don't get me wrong, but the use cases and the way that they are materialized and and the way that they're used are very different. I think that if you also research WASI, W-A-S-I, WebAssembly System Interface, that should get you more towards the WebAssembly on the server side of things. Then I would say a couple of startups, and I'm not picking favorites here, right? But a couple of startups have decent blogs as well. They're doing really good stuff in this space. Are Cosmonic, um, Fermion, and actually also Mm -hmm. um, Wasm Edge. Um, I think those are like three... For me, go-to places, a second state Wasm Edge, kind of of same thing. And so Fermion, Cosmonic, and and Wasm Edge, um, they write some good stuff on it. But really, there's not a lot out there, again, because it's so nascent and it's so early. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I think that's a great tip that could spare some time for those uh, doing, uh, performing the search to get some more information about WebAssembly, kind of
2: knowing what exactly you should search for. Can I say as well, Chris, um, that, of course, because it's like containers and Kubernetes were and still are to some respect, it's it's just iterating so fast. So Mm. anything, and this is just a general rule, okay, anything that six months, a year written, you know, written a year ago or six months ago, just be a little bit less trusting of that. Not because it was inaccurate at the time, but just because this stuff is it's, it's iterating and developing at warp speed if you know your Star Trek.
1: Mm. <laughs> awesome. Totally. Cool. All right. Well, Nigel, now is the time where you get to plug everything and anything you like, your books, <laughs> your
2: courses, anything that you like. Oh, I'm so unprepared. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I spend my life trying to help people learn containers, Kubernetes, and WebAssembly now. Um, it's like my super passion. So I, I would probably say just go to Um I write books, I do video training courses, I write a blog, I've got a newsletter. But I don't want to bore you trying to give you like the names of all of that kind of stuff. I, I would say as well, if you're interested in in learning Kubernetes and you like books... Um, just type Kubernetes into Amazon or wherever. I know on Amazon, and I, I am super proud of this, not in a big-headed way at all, right, but but I'm an indie publisher, and I update my Kubernetes books every year to make sure they're up to date. Mm-hmm. But if you search Kubernetes, I'm, I'm usually the top hit. I know Amazon puts, like, sponsored books above it, um, but I, I just love the fact that in today's world, like, and, and I don't, this is not me at all, right? It's probably just because I've got in early, but like that an indie or an independent author can compete against like the bigger companies. And I, I'm not saying that my book's better than any other book, right? And um, there's some great other books out there, no doubt. But mine is updated every year and I work hard to make sure that it doesn't have any stale information in. So yeah, just, you don't have to search my name or anything, just search Kubernetes mm-hmm. and, and you'll find my books there as well.
0: I can confirm that the, the Kubernetes book, right? Uh, or yeah, the yeah, Kubernetes right. handbook, I think it's called. Yeah, I can Kubernetes confirm keyboard. that it's really good because I've read it and oh, read thanks. it every year with your updates. I think it's really
2: good. Oh, cheers.
1: Yeah, I, I got to echo that as well for everybody that's listening. I have two books that I always just like are kind of on on my bedside, right? Like if I ever need to go back and reference something. Um, the first one is the Kubernetes book by Nigel. I it's, I'm, I'm always referencing it. I'm always going back. The second one is uh, production Kubernetes, which is an O'Reilly title. So those two books are always in, in my, uh, in my grasp. So yeah, cheers. And, and thank you so much for writing that book. No, thank you. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Nigel, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody for listening.